Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Normally I have overheads. Uh, please be aware that there are no overheads except the one that's behind me today. Um, so no funny pictures, no uh, archaeological references. We are going to be doing a bit of a Bible study today. We're talking on the subject of servanthood. And as we do, there are various words that you could look up. Service, serving, servant, servanthood, minister, ministering, ministry. We are called to serve throughout all of the scriptures. There are exhortations, examples, encouragements, and warnings. What does it mean to be a servant and minister to our Lord and his people? Well, the common New Testament terms translated servant, service, ministry, are throughout the New Testament and are used in a great variety of meanings. There's a general discipleship. There's service rendered to the church because of gifts bestowed. There's the ministry of the word. There is feeding of the poor or caring for the needs of the saints. There's service rendered by individuals like Stephanus or Archippus or Tychicus. The word translated as service in the New Testament could mean to run errands, to attend to someone's need as a servant, to provide relief, to be a slave or an indentured servant. So it's a broad application. It also can be used to render or perform religious service or worship to God. The word servant in the Bible is an honorable position. Throughout the New Testament, the word Bondservant or servant is applied to someone absolutely devoted to Christ. Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, and Jude all describe themselves as bondservants of Christ. It's a very common word with a variety of meaning, all implying a greater or less degree of stature and a curtailing of personal freedom. So I'm going to give up my freedom to serve others and work with them to meet their needs. That makes sense? So you find most frequently talked about as slave or hired servant. And it's also used as a term of respectful, self-deprecating reference to oneself. I am your servant. I am thy servant in the King James. It's used in a place of personal pronouns. For example, in the presence of superiors or in the presence and addressing God. I am your servant. Officials of every grade in the scriptures are called the servants of kings or princes. It's also the position of a king in reference to his people. The king serves his people. All right? So it doesn't matter what your station is in life, you can still serve and serve honorably and serve God himself and serve other people. So the one who is distinguished and is obedient to God and is faithful to God or Christ is called his servant. But also, the word servant can be used for one who is a slave or servant of sin. Well, our purpose today is to see how Paul used these terms in his letters to the Corinthians and to understand them in context. In each case, Paul is graciously and firmly teaching the church at Corinth what the proper understanding of these words is, and how they should live them out. 
When we do that, we'll then reflect on the people of Paul's day seeking to understand what incorrect thinking and behavior the apostle addressed. From there, we'll discuss our contemporary mindset and how it's challenged. So, in your lessons and the handout that you have, you see that after each scripture reference, there are three questions. What do we learn about servanthood from this passage? What problems was Paul addressing in Corinth? And how does this New Testament teaching challenge the church in our culture today? How does it challenge us? So basically, it's a word study. Are you excited? Yes! We're getting into this. We're going to do this. And it's going to be great. So, let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 5. We're going to stay in the Corinthians, and we're going to go progressively through. All right? So, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 15. I want you to look at this passage, and I'd like you to note several things here. First, there are many servants. Paul says that he's part of the servants that God has given. And they all work, look at the text, under the direction of the one whom they serve. They're servants of the Most High God. Notice also, in this passage, Paul is telling the Corinthians and showing the Corinthians that servants work together with each other and Look at this phrase, because this is wonderful. Look at verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. So they work with each other and work with God himself. When Paul serves, he sees himself working together with God. This is not something menial. This is not something demeaning. This is something that is absolutely glorious. Notice also, servants are rewarded according to their labor. Where do you see that in the text? This is going to be a very, you know, participatory class. Where do you see that servants are going to be rewarded according to their labor? Where? Verse? Yep, there you are. So, everyone is going to be accountable for their service. They're going to be rewarded according to that. Verse 14, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Now, notice also, we serve only by God's grace and not because of innate skills and abilities. These are the ones, skills that are given by God. So, When John Knox was called to preach in Scotland, little did the world know what great impact he would have. When he was called to preach, he actually burst forth in great tears and sobbing and withdrew back to his room. And he did that, when he did that, his countenance and behavior from that day forward was changed and he was compelled to set himself in a public place of serving through his preaching But he also significantly and sufficiently declared the grief and trouble of his soul doing that. He recognized the immensity of his responsibility to serve God and his people through his own inadequacies. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, The man who is called by God 
is a man who realizes what he is called to do. And he also realizes the awfulness of the task. Now, in this passage, 1 Corinthians 3, who is the chief servant that's referred to here? Who's the chief servant? Who is the master servant? Christ, right? If you look at verse 11, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is our cornerstone. He has laid the foundation. The foundation is himself. He is the chief servant. And this passage shows us that servants are successful because of the one they serve. Not because of themselves, but because of the work that God does through them. And then finally, servants are accountable. So, three questions. What do we learn about servanthood from this passage? What strikes you as you look at this passage and as you think about what we've just said? Serving is working together with God. What else? What else stands out in this passage that you may have read this passage many times before, but as you study God's word, fresh treasures come out. Dan. Well, you started by saying, you know, there were three guys here. They each had a different job. Yeah. And they worked together. Yep. Three men, different jobs, all working together. And God causes the growth. Great. What problems was Paul addressing in Corinth in this passage? Blake? Rivalries, jealousies, factions. Good. Today, how does God use this historic event, this historic passage, to address the church today regarding how we understand and how we live out service? We're called to it. We're called to it. What else? Yes. Excellent. Excellent. As in verse 10, we are to be a wise builder and we are to recognize that there will be others that build upon that. Good. All right. So, let's go to the next passage. 1 Corinthians 3, 2, 1 Corinthians 4. Starting in verse 1 and through and including verse 7. Notice Paul's first thing. As we look about, about his concept of God's teaching to us concerning servanthood, he says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Paul's highest identity is that he is Christ's servant and entrusted with his message. You know, he frequently uses the word which basically means a busboy or a table waiter a common servant. It emphasizes the simplicity, the meanness, the averageness, the commonness of the task. But he often also used the word doulos in this Greek, which means a bond slave, which emphasizes the totality of submission. Sometimes he uses the word hupertes, which means the under rower. And you've heard about that, the three tiers of rowers, and he's at the bottom rower with everything that that implies from Scores of men above them and everything that would filter down from that, right? And the environment. 
He is always seeing himself as a servant. But that's the basic identification of the Apostle Paul, isn't it? It's his basic identification. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when you write my epitaph, when you lay out your account, when you put down something about me to learn for my posterity, when you put the tombstone, it's not a pizza. The epitaph says, I am a servant. All right, what else do we learn about servanthood from this passage? 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 7. Stewards. Yep, excellent. They're entrusted with riches from someone else, and they're accountable. Good, what else? What else do you see here? I don't represent myself. Paul is representing someone else. Good. Paul also recognizes that God will provide praise for his servants. By the way, did you notice something? Look carefully at verse number 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. It is not just our actions. It's how, what is our motives? And each one of us could freely say, yes, I've served other people, but there are times when I was gritting my teeth. I'll serve you, but I don't have to like you. Well, maybe it's not that intense for you. <laughs> maybe I'm being too self-relevatory here. I don't know. <laughs> but isn't that true? Sometimes our motives are not pure. And God will judge servants by not only the actions, but also the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Hmm. But God does provide praise. And look at the last verse there. Verse 7. What do you have that you do not receive? Any service that we receive or any service that we give is only because of God's grace. So what do we learn? What are the key things that pop out from us, for us in this passage? So what? God's grace. It is not of ourselves. It is God's grace. It's not deserved that we either receive service or give service. It is God's grace that he enables us to have, to give, or to receive. Good. What else? Again, what does the passage teach us about servanthood? Do it for the right reasons. Do it for the right reasons. Yes. Yep. Good. Yep, it is God's message, God's work, God's service, God's gifts. It is focused and emanates from Him. Good. Well, what problems was Paul addressing in the church at Corinth? What problems was he addressing when he gave this passage here? He's addressing pride or arrogance. Good. I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I'm not disacquitted. It's the one who examines me is the Lord. While servants serve many, they're held accountable chiefly to the Lord they serve. Right? Other people may judge, but it's primarily at the end 
that we're accountable to our Lord. So, New Testament, historic passage dealing with the church in Corinth, first century. What problems do we wrestle with today that God in his mercy addresses in this passage for us, for our culture? Blake. Excellent. So, yep. Yep, we live in a self-gratifying, self-focused society. And Blake is saying that, you know, God is addressing that in our hearts. That we need to examine our hearts. Why are we doing this? What do we think is our reward? Is our reward from men? Is our reward from others? Where is the reward? What is our motive? Um, I saw another hand over here. Yes, Kathy. Partiality. Partiality. How so? Ah, well, that's great. You know, it's it's. Kathy is suggesting that it's like the passage in James that we show partiality to those who may be big contributors, either wealthy, uh, more obvious or more visible or public, rather than those who have a specific needs and are not that visible. So. Not all churches right now. Not, not you, Kathy. No, no. Yes. Amen. Yeah, excellent. Yep. Dave, Davis, Davis, he is jumping ahead. Stop, he, why don't you come on up, brother? And, <laughs> no, but, and you're absolutely right. Paul is exalting Christ who showed and demonstrated himself as the chief servant, you know, and he abrogated his, his rights as, you know, the Lord of glory. He veiled himself in flesh. He willingly gave up some of his privileges, you know, taking on flesh, taking on humanity, the kenosis, right? And he served. He washed feet. He bled and died. You know, the, we're having the Lord's table today. We talked about worship recently. And uh, one time when I had the opportunity to share during the Lord's table, I had bread and I broke it. And I had grapes and I crushed them. And one time, I would like to actually put a butcher block up on the platform, and I'd like to have a, a portion of meat on that butcher block, and a hammer, and a spike, and I'd like to pound the spike through that ham hock to illustrate physically what went on at the cross to provide an emotional emphasis of the spiritual reality of what our Lord went through being our, being our glorious Redeemer 
Savior, and servant of our souls. Would that be a little too dramatic? Dan is saying yes. Debbie is saying no. <laughs> if there are visitors visiting, might it be... Uh, we, yeah, everybody knows me. We expect these things. Yeah, thanks, Deb. We're moving on now. I didn't have a lot of humor, but Deb Carline is supplying it. Thank you, Deb. <laughs> yes, Rick. Yeah, I would, I would find that uh, physically impossible, but the most miraculous thing is that Christ died and was resurrected and, you know, was seen by over 500. So I would probably focus on that. Uh, that's, a, that's a neat story, but uh, I'd probably focus on what the scriptures reveal. <laughs> Let's move on. 1 Corinthians 12. Again, we're going through the passages that talk, and we're familiar with this passage. 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the gifts, right? So let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul starts out, says there's a wide variety of ways to serve, right? Varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, variety of effects. But to each one, everyone has been given specific gifts, abilities, inclinations by God who appoints them to everyone. And look at verse 7. But to each one, every single one of us, and it, it could be a public gift. It could be a pri- something that's not seen publicly. All right? But verse 7, it's the manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit is coming alive. It's being illustrated. Like my taking that spike and that hammer and pounding it through the ham hock. It's being manifested. It's being seen for the common good. The Spirit of God is being seen and manifested and made visible for the common good, for the good of everyone. So all these gifts are given not for the self-aggrandizement, not for the self-glorification of the individual, but to build up the body. <clears throat> Keep going there. Look at, look at verse 22. On the contrary, it is much truer that members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. You may look at your feet and say, I've got ugly feet. My toes are crooked. My nails are cracked. But your feet are necessary and they're an important part of your body. You may not think that they're pretty. But God gave you to them to help you be mobile. Right? ESV says what? Indispensable. Indispensable. I love it. That's great. Good translation there. So, they're not to be denigrated, but they're important and to be appreciated and given honor. Those serving gifts, they're there. And not everybody has all of them. Not all are not apostles. All are not prophets. All are not workers of miracles. And again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the gifts of the Spirit and the current manifestation in this class. I think Bo did a great job, and historically we've done a good job here uh, discussing who we are and what we believe as a church. But notice this. A servant is not preoccupied with visibility 
and recognition. This passage is great for that. Like John the Baptist, a servant sees himself as a friend of the bridegroom. John 3. Servants are not preoccupied with the visibility of their own roles. We don't view those with different roles or less visible roles as less significant. Nor should we covet more visible roles that we think are more significant, especially if we have not been gifted in that. So the farmer sees a cloud in the sky, and it looks like the letter P and the letter C. And so he thinks, God is telling me to preach Christ. And so he goes, and he gets a pulpit, and he starts preaching. And he tells the story of how he saw the sign, PC in the sky. And, and so he's convinced that God is telling him to preach Christ. And as people are leaving, after hearing him speak, one fellow comes up and says, you know, maybe God was telling you to plant corn. And not everybody has all the gifts. All right? Not everybody should be visible. Again, so those three questions. Number one, what do we learn about servanthood from the passage? What focuses out, what pops out to us? What is strong in confronting the reader for 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Yes? Every single one of us is important, has a gift to serve. We may need to search for it, but it's there. Good. What else? It's God-given for the common good. Excellent. What was Paul addressing in Corinth here in this passage? We've talked on it several times through this series. What problems was he addressing in the church of Corinth? Dan. Some were exalted. Yes, some gifts were exalted. Good. What else was Paul exalt, was describing and addressing for Corinth? My gift is better than your gift. Yeah. yeah. There was pride. There was arrogance. Yes, Josh. Excellent. Excellent. Great point. Paul is addressing one issue here when he talks about the, the denigration of our own gifts and the lack of appreciation of the work of the Spirit in our lives where we think, oh, someone else in the church should, oh, why not you? It's like the Old Testament passage, you know, maybe you were raised up for such a time as this. Bo. And it's also okay to focus on a particular gift. You don't have to do it all because we are working together. Uh, that will prevent you from being burned out or overburdened mm -hmm. in the body. Uh, but the eye can't do what the liver does, and it shouldn't do what the liver does. So it's okay to focus on your, your gift. Yeah, it's okay to focus on your gift, not try to do everything, not get burned out. Good. You know, not everybody can build. 
28 decks? Is it 28? Yeah. 20, oh, 27 decks, excuse me. Not everybody can build 27 decks. <laughs> Not everybody can wire an electrical system. Not everybody can work in uh, cut down trees and, uh, you know, but you can do something to serve Christ, to serve his people, you know. And, you know, the New Testament passage, while historic, addressing Corinth, addresses us today. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 16. Sure. Uh-huh. I heard people say, well, I haven't got the gift of service. That's why I'm not volunteering here or there or whatever. Yeah. Dan brings up a good point. Some people say, well, the list is not in that particular list in the scriptures. And yet, the list never, God never says that that list is exhaustive. You know? And the, the whole idea of service or serving or servanthood is throughout all of the scriptures, starting in Genesis through Revelation right? And here, as we study through the letter to the church at Corinth, these people struggled with having a godly understanding of the gifts and abilities God has given you, and you, and me, and applying it, and understanding it, and appreciating it, and using it in a way that builds up his people and glorifies God. Yes? They are. Excellent point. All of the gifts identified are indeed gifts of service. Great point. If I had a prize, I would give it to you right now. <laughs> that was great. Great observation. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 16. I'm not certain we're going to get into all nine of these passages today. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 12. So I'm going to throw it out to the class now. What do you see as examples, illustrations, commands, exhortations of service, servanthood, ministry in this passage? Where do you see it? Okay, concern for the service and others, good. The desire, good, excellent. And even making plans. And even making plans, yeah. Matthew. He talks trip to Corinth, he's planning on a trip. Yep. Good, excellent. Did I see a hand back there somewhere? No? Can I call on someone back there? No, not, not going to do that. Anybody else? I think that those points are great. First off, I will come to you after I go to, into Macedonia, verse 8, but I will remain in Ephesus, in Ephesus until Pentecost. Servants plan to do good. I will come. Do we plan on doing good for others? This weekend, there were three work activities planned, right? 
There was one where there was work inside and outside of somebody's house. Um, there, was, there were two others. Um, and many of you were involved in that. Praise the Lord. Great. And there was a plan to do that. Now that plan could change, right? Our sister plans on going back to Lithuania. All right? She has been here for a few months. She's going to be planning on going back. There are plans. The wicked plan evil on their bed, the proverb tells us. What do we do to plan on being a blessing? What can we do to plan and to engage others and say, let's do this. Let's go over. Let's mow their lawn. You know, they're sick. They're in need of groceries. They're out of work. What can, what can we do? All right? How does the love of Christ constrain us to want to be a blessing to other people? And if not us, how do we encourage someone else and say, hey, I found someone who has a need. I don't know how to help them. Can, what do you think we can do? All right? They plan. Also, look at look, this. This is great. This is great. You look at how Paul talks about Timothy. What does he say about Timothy in verse 10? He's doing the work of the Lord, right? What else does he say? Look at verse 11. What does he want to happen? Yeah. Let no one despise him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me. All right, and what about Apollos? Look at verse 12. What does this servant, Paul, say about other servants? He's our brother. I encourage him greatly. I can't serve in that capacity. He can serve you. I encourage him greatly. Go to them. Be a blessing to them. They love you. There are people there who have your bobblehead doll. All right? Go. So what do we learn about servanthood in this passage? Yeah. Excellent. What else? Oh, don't make me start calling on people. Yes, Sandy Taylor. Ah, excellent. Excellent. There are seasons of our service. Excellent. And there are times when it's time to let that go. You know, uh, there's a famous preacher from Evansville who has an illustration about a glass of water in your finger. If you take your finger out of the glass of water, somehow the hole fills up. And... We need to recognize that, you know, while Christ is indispensable, we are not indispensable. And somehow his work will get done. Maybe it's somebody else that can do that. Maybe it's our time. Maybe it's not our time. We can be comfortable with that. All right. What problems was Paul addressing in this passage with the Corinthians? What was Paul addressing there? Still dealing with the factions, yep. The expectations of these folks. And how can we learn? What is the Holy Spirit teaching us through the preservation of this letter for the church today? Blake.
Excellent. 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 In the day of in the day of self focus and being triggered by our own preferences not being met, Paul emphasizes by God's hand through him that we can serve others um, who are different. We can serve others with full vigor, energy, and effectiveness. Well, let's move on. First, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. And again, I'm going to give you a few moments, class participation. And I'm going to ask that first question. What do we learn about servanthood from this passage? And if you could, again, because I'm going to be seeing someone about my hearing this week, please speak up loudly and also give me a reference verse number. All right? So what do we learn about servanthood from this passage? In verse 5, we're not just to be serving ourselves, all right, and we're not to be adequate in ourselves. Our adequacy is from God. Good. What else? Well, following up on that, it's not us to do it. It's Christ working through us. It's Christ working through us. Excellent. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. It is through Christ, his intermediates, his distribution of gifts. He gave gifts to men, the scriptures tell us. Good. Yes, Shelley. Think that serving God is not without like interpersonal uh, conflicts or you know, is there a thing will prove to us that it's always talking about? Excellent. Yeah, it's not without trial and interpersonal conflict. Good. Let's be real about this, right? Anybody else? Yes. Oh, man, in verse 12, we can be bold. Matter of fact, I love that. This is great. For if the ministry, look at verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation, the law of Moses, right? Condemnation, has glory. Much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory, and that was the ministry of Moses, right? And the law, has no glory because of the glory of Christ and his righteousness, that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, Moses, the law being fulfilled in Christ, that was glorious, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, and that hope is that our glory in Christ, his righteousness will not fade away. It will not fade away. Because of that, verse 12, we have great boldness in our speech. We have great courage in our speech. God preserved righteousness through Christ. The law was inadequate to bring us to righteousness, but it pointed out our own frailty, foibles, sin, and destruction. Christ fulfilled the law lived through righteousness, died 
because of the penalty that we deserved and was resurrected gloriously. And our hope is a glorious hope because his righteousness will never fade away. And that is the hope of our service. We begin this series, and I gave the lesson of a missionary who was in the Dominican Republic for 17 years and left the field thinking he was an abject failure. And 50 years later, people went back and discovered that God had used this man in his weakness to establish churches throughout the area. We will in due time reap if we do not grow weary. God is not going to forget your work of service. So you're with that school of, that, that class of four-year-olds and five-year-olds, and you're thinking, how am I ever going to get this bunch of wiggling, squirmy, inattentive children to the gates of glory? <laughs> First off, it's not your job to do that. Second, it's our job to be faithful and to trust in the one who honors his word and who promises that his word will not return void. So, little Danny Gelock in Mrs. Williams' class, Mrs. Williams brought him to the restroom at that church and washed his dirty little face and taught him God's word. And how do I know that God did not use that in my ultimate salvation when I was 17 years old, nine years later? I don't know that. I was able to go back and speak to Mrs. Williams and she was thrilled that by God's grace her efforts with that dirty little boy you know, somehow was used in God's providence. So, humble servants know where their ability and success comes from. And the effect is not on tablets of stone but tablets of human hearts. We are not, verse 5, we are not adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Our adequacy is from God. You know, I'm convinced that the deeper the selfless attitude of unworthiness and servanthood, the greater the potential for usefulness is. William Taylor, who wrote in his book, The Preacher and His Model, uh, gave us an interesting illustration there was, a, uh, there was a, a potter in China called Pusa. Pusa was a potter who was ordered by the emperor to make a great work for him. And Pusa tried as much as he could. He used the best clays he could find. He tried a variety of glazes, and everything did not measure up to his own standard. And he kept trying, kept trying, and finally, out of desperation and despair, he threw himself into the kiln. And this story, this Chinese fable, talks about out of the kiln came this exquisite work of finished glaze pottery that was fit for the king. 
And as the Chinese story goes, it was the self-sacrifice that made the most beautiful work. And that's a powerful fable. That's a powerful, powerful fab- uh, fairy tale. But it's true. Paul poured himself out to the Corinthians. And he recognized that he was going to be pouring himself out as an offering. And that's who we are. We are called to that sort of service. Not necessarily looking to the reward, not necessarily seeing the end result, but trusting in the one who works through us to bring Christ the glory. How do we... Let's go to the third question under this passage. How do we propagate that? How do we encourage that view in the church today, in our culture, our consumer-driven, entertainment-driven culture, how do we encourage that mindset today? Yes, Kathy. Excellent. Fixing our eyes on Christ, knowing that he who began the good work will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Good. How else? How do we encourage people who are immediate gratification oriented? Yes, John Rose. Amen. Faithfulness, perseverance, you know, persistence, creativity, you know, recognizing it's not up to us, but God will cause the increase. Good. Well, we only have time really for one more passage um, here, and that's a lengthy one. It's Second Corinthians chapter four, verse one, and up through verse eighteen. So, and this is, am I losing something here, guys? Maybe the uh, connection? Let me take this out of my pocket. Maybe that'll help. Okay. First, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 starts, Therefore, since we have this ministry, this service, this way of serving Christ and his people, As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. And he talks about, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And then he goes into this lengthy description of the weaknesses of the trials that he's gone under. Servants know the inherent weaknesses we have, 
Our trials and our suffering are there to help us manifest Christ, to display Christ, to give Him the glory, and are for the purpose of exalting Him and not ourselves. We can minister, we can serve others, even in the midst of weakness, for the very purpose that glory goes to God. We seek the glory of our Master. Our master is not our reputation. Our master is not the people we serve. Jesus said, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. A Christ-like servant is a bond servant. We are a slave of Christ. And we will demonstrate over time that Christ, not public approval, not position, not financial authority, has our primary loyalty. Well, we could spend more time and we could look at more passages, but our time is up. Uh, I hope and I pray that um, we continue to look at these passages and look at all of God's Word and most importantly looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross the ignominy, the shame and brought us to himself let's pray Father I thank you for this time Lord I pray that you would teach us like Paul sought to teach the Corinthians, and your Spirit teaches us today, how we are to serve you with gladness and fullness of joy. And Lord, we do pray that we would get a sense of joy and pleasure in serving you and in honoring you regardless of the difficulties, regardless of the results that we see, knowing that you are trustworthy, that you are fully capable of completing that work that you've started. We ask that you would use us, use even us, for your honor, for the glory of your Son, that he would be exalted, that men and women, boys and girls, would be drawn to him, inextricably, irresistibly, and eternally. Praise you in his name. Amen.